Once again, thank you for being here this morning. Just to say that in the midst of all the celebration and excitement of Mardi Gras, this is the place where the eternal celebration and excitement should occur on earth to occur forever. Amen. So this is the reason, if you would, in the right way, we are partying together. We are partying in the party of God. And so thank you for being here this morning. This morning we're going to talk about the blessings of the kingdom of God. And so you remember last week we just saw the scripture where Jesus sat down and opened his mouth, began to teach the people. And we learned that, and it's, I think it's, well, it's crucial to understand something of this Sermon on the Mount. When I say the Sermon on the Mount, we're talking about chapters 5 through 7. And so this morning we'll be particularly speaking about the Beatitudes, but in a general way, the Sermon on the Mount, and much more specifically, the Beatitudes. I want to make sure that we see this sermon as just not another sermon of the ethical character and relationships of people. Some people think, well, this is a mandate of what we need to do in order to become God's people. This is a mandate of being socially involved. This is a mandate of whatever. It's not a mandate of anything. This sermon is Jesus explaining what the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law, remember the Torah, the moral, the civil, and the ceremonial law, what the Torah is all about. He has come to fulfill, which we'll see next week. And so in this fulfillment, Jesus is filling in, if you would, or fleshing out or expounding upon or expressing God's real, full intent and purpose in giving the law through Moses. Because you remember, that law that, Mo, that God gave through Moses is a, is a skeletal kind of a thing, an outline. And what it did, it took care of the governmental and spiritual issues of Israel until the Messiah, who comes to fulfill it, will fulfill it in fullness, and so there's no longer of a skeletal law, but now we have that law inside of us being fulfilled. And so this Sermon on the Mount is really Jesus' exposition about himself. It's an exposition about himself. And so when we look at it, we'll see that as image bearers of God, those who are saved, we're image bearers of God. Remember Romans eight twenty nine, For he has predestined us to be conformed to the image of his Son. So we're image bearers. We're Genesis one twenty six people. And we'll see that because of that, our lives now are to be imaging the person and the ministry and the work and the character of the king himself. Because as members of the kingdom, we are members of the kingdom because we are in association with, fellowship with, we have been united to the king of the kingdom. 
So let's make sure we don't distinguish or differentiate what's going on here. We're not members of the kingdom, and there's Jesus over there. We are in Christ. He is the king of God's kingdom. He encapsulates and fulfills all that it is to be a kingdom member. And so when we look at the material today and the sermon today, we begin to see that what Jesus does in these Eight Beatitudes, I know we've said nine, I'll explain that in a moment. But in verses 3 to 10 this morning, and we'll pick up 11 and uh, you know, following next week. Jesus sets forth the very character of what it is to be a kingdom member. But whose character? This is the character that is displayed by those who are in Christ, which means this. This is the very character of Jesus Christ himself that is being displayed and manifested and testified to and being put out there so all the world can see that when they look at us, they see another man. And so when we look at these beatitudes, these blesseds, this is who Christ is in himself in a very short statement. Obviously, there's more to Jesus than just these eight beatitudes. And we as his image bearers are being displaying who Jesus is. And so when we look at this, we may think, well, why is it important to be a peacemaker? Why is it important to be merciful? Why is it important? Why? Because we are the image bearers, and it is of utmost significance to be image, I mean, merciful and peacemakers and, and uh, uh, poor in spirit and et cetera. We look at all of them because this is the only way the world will know who Jesus is. So let's make sure we see what these blesseds or these beatitudes are all about. They are the manifestation in us, his image bearers, of who he is, of his own character. And I want to make sure that we don't see this just as things that we do and how we are, but who he is in and through us, displaying himself through us and creating in us because of our birth in Christ, our new birth, but then manifesting and developing in us these qualities or these attributes of himself as we are moving forward, walking with him in obedience through life. And so he begins this. He starts with blesseds. Now, why the word blessed? The term blessed was a title that referred to God himself. You know, if I say we're blessed, we're blessed. How many of you believe you're blessed? How many of us are blessed? If we're in Christ, what? We are blessed. I was with the flowers the other day, you know, phage flowers. Remember, she's in the hospital, or maybe she's going home by now. But anyway, her knee operation, her daughter was there, and whatever. And it is amazing how this family, how you doing? We're blessed. What's going on? We're blessed. And it's one of the unique things about this particular family that I don't hear from myself or others this much. We're blessed. 
How you doing? Well, you know, I got and we typically give all the things that are going wrong in our lives and a couple of good things. Is that right? Am I, am I the only one that does this? Oh, my back aches. And my, okay, fine. We understand that. But here she is in the hospital. She has this knee operation. They have to put her knee in a brace because of something that whatever. I don't quite don't understand it, but I'm not a doctor and I don't need to. And she has all this pain and she's working through it. And all the issues about what I'm going to, when I get home and how I'm going to, you know, all of this. And what do they say? We're blessed. Why? Because you see, it has to do with what blessing really means in the Bible. Blessing primarily in the Bible does not mean what you have as far as things and opportunities and experiences. Blessing in this context has to do with the very person of God himself. You remember when Caiaphas is talking to Jesus and he says, I adjure you in the name of the blessed. Are you the Messiah, the Son of God? Now, that's the highest command that the high priest could give. I adjure you in the name of the blessed. In whose name? In the name of Yahweh himself, I adjure you. And so he is saying, in the name of the blessed. Paul refers to God as the blessed God in 1 Timothy 1.11. And so to be blessed is to have that very face-to-face, personal fellowship relationship with God himself. That the presence of God, the face of God, is in our face, if you would, regularly. To be a blessed people means that we have fellowship, relationship, and constant companionship with the one, only one, who is blessed. And so when we think of blessed, let's remember that's what blessed essentially means, and out from that come all the characteristics of being blessed. And so what Jesus is doing here, he's laying the foundation first of what it is to be blessed. Blessed means that my people have been joined to God the Father through the redemptive work of Jesus applied by the Spirit, and we have been made partakers of the divine nature. Where did I hear that before? Somebody said partakers of the divine nature. Who said that? Second what? Peter verse, chapter 1 verse, whatever. And so we have become partakers, co-participants in the divine nature. That's why we're blessed. And so I need to remember this. How are you today, Charlie? Charles, how are you? I'm blessed. Steve, how are you today? I'm blessed. Sherry, how are you today? Now, everything's falling apart in your life maybe, but... How are you today? Al, what's your name? There it is. I've said Alman, and then Ron went right out of my mind when I said Alman. I stopped him. Betty, how, you, how are you today? Hmm? I'm blessed. Bog, how are you today? Blessed. Blessed. That's right. Eddie, how are you today? Warren, no. Warren, how, how are you today? What? I can't hear you. 
You're blessed. Sam, how are you today? Children of God, those who have been be partakers of the divine nature, how are we today? We are blessed. You see, there's a whole mindset that needs to be changed about us. And look, I am one of the biggest culprits here of not saying, Rochelle, how are you today? I'm blessed. And when you begin to tell people that, guess what they're going to ask? How are you today? You're blessed. Your husband went to be with the Lord three weeks ago. How are you today? Blessed. And when we tell people that, what are they going to ask us? What do you mean by bless? If any of us are wondering about how we can testify to our faith, let's just start, start using the right terminology and saying it the way the Bible says it. We have all the opportunity in the world to what? To be testifying. Chris, how are you today? Sue, very blessed. And even Brenda, how are you? Blessed, okay. Now that she can hear, she's really blessed. You see, Jesus tells us by the word blessed. Oh, by the way, you remember in, in Genesis 1 when the Lord tells Adam, here's what you're going to do. He says, I will bless you. And then he gives him the mandates. Remember in verse 28, chapter 1, I will what? Bless you. In other words, my presence will be with you. We will walk together and we will talk together and we will work together as a team, as one. And here's what you're to do. And here's how that works out. Those are the mandates, remember. Subdue, rule, fill, work and keep the garden. We're blessed. And so Jesus tells us that the most basic benefit of being in his kingdom, of being united to him, is that we or they and whoever is in Christ are blessed. Why? Because we have been united to the blessed one himself. The personal presence of God is ours. Listen to what Ephesians 1, 3 says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who has, what? Blessed us with every spiritual blessings in Christ in the heavenlies. So can you say today, and maybe we won't get past this, but it is so fundamentally important. Are we blessed even when everything is going to hell in a handbasket around us? Yes, and I have to fight for that. I have to fight for that. I have to remember that. So we need to fight for it. And so when I'm driving home this afternoon and the traffic uptown isn't what I want it to be. You see, when I'm driving, I want every street to be vacant, every light to be green, and ain't nobody in my way. Now, I don't speed. I set the thing on 30 or whatever it is, but I want to have absolute nothing in front of me and nothing to deter me. And, Diane, I have to fight that I'm blessed when a light turns red right before I get there. And I was hoping I could make it across. Am I the only one who drives like that? <laughs> We're blessed. I drive because I used to, I watched Gene drive, and so I learned how to drive like that. No. 
Look, even though there are nine blesseds, there are nine of them. Remember that? Verse 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. There are nine blesseds. It appears that Jesus meant that the first and eighth to stand, the first through eighth, stand as a set, as evidenced by the same promise. And so it looks like Jesus says there are eight blessings, and then the ninth one, which is verses 11 and is it 11 and 12? Yeah, that's a recapturing or restatement of the first, uh, of the one right before it in verse 10. So, the first and eighth emphasize the present day blessings, while the rest of them emphasize the blessings that are partial to us now and are developing and will be in fullness. So, the first blessing and the eighth blessing are today we have them. And then the ones in between, the second to the seventh, you'll see, and they will be. The first and eighth is, is, there's is, and it will be. Those are the blessings that we have today in part and will experience in fullness. Now, remember, as we go through this, let's remember what we have here are statements of the very person and character of Christ himself as established in us in our new birth and manifested through us by the work of the Holy Spirit. So, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you notice the verb, is? What tense is is? Present, remember? Present tense, is. Those, what does it mean poor in spirit? Those who know they have no personal righteousness of their own. Those who make no attempt to depend upon their own works, their own background, their own culture, their own religious experiences. Those who know there is absolutely nothing in me of any ability whatsoever at any time to earn even the least bit of God's favor. They recognize that. One must know his own spiritual condition as God sees it. So the important thing is that one who is poor in spirit has had revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, because this only comes by revelation of the Spirit, that you are bankrupt spiritually and that there's no way of having a relationship or coming into the kingdom of God unless the Holy Spirit does something. There's a particular person I've been talking to over a period of weeks. And, and as we share the gospel and try to make it as clear as possible, as clear as possible, and we try to make it clear in a variety of ways, giving examples and telling things. And, and he knows all the what were the, the aspects of the gospel? He knows that Jesus is the Son of God. He knows that. He knows that Jesus died on the cross. He knows that. He believes that Jesus' death on the cross pays for sin. He knows this. He knows Jesus rose from the dead, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. But there's something missing. He hasn't, I'm going to say it this way. I'm saying it this way particularly. He, may I emphasize that? He 
has not connected the dots to see that he needs a Savior. He knows it intellectually, but he doesn't know it in the depths of his soul. Do you know what I'm talking about? And how can he know this? He can't know it. It has to be given to him to know it. And so our prayer for him is, Holy Spirit, vivify him, make him alive, reveal to him. The need in this man's life is not more study of the word, although that if the Holy Spirit leads it, it's not more knowledge in that sense. It's revelation of the knowledge that he already has. I mean, Gene and I were raised in a church, and, you know, we sang these songs, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Absolutely had no idea what that was all about. Then one day in each of us, oh, oh, light, light and revelation. Oh, poor in spirit. So as you witness to people, don't become frustrated. I don't know why this person's going to get it then. I've told him a hundred times what's going on. Don't be afraid. I hope he doesn't die before. Don't do any of that. Share as God gives you to share. But then pray, Father, show him that he's poor in spirit and open to him the door of eternal life right? Give him revelation. Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27. You see, such understanding recognition is not indigenous to us, but must be revealed by the Holy Spirit. John 16 says this. Jesus says that when the Spirit comes, he will convict the world. What? He will convict the world. What? He will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment, in regard to sin because men do not believe in me. So what is the sin that condemns every person who is not saved? What is the sin? The sin that condemns is not homosexuality. The sin that condemns is not greed. It's not adultery. It's not lying. It's not lesbianism. It's not gay marriage. That's not the sin that condemns. That's the fruit on the tree. The root is bad. What is the root? They do not believe in Christ. There's the sin. Amen? That's the sin. They remain in Adam. They do not believe in Christ. And why don't they believe in Christ? Because the Holy Spirit has not yet given them that revelation. But the good news is, when the Holy Spirit reveals, they yield. When the Holy Spirit reveals, they yield. Amen? So you don't ever have to worry. You know, if God shows them the truth, will they receive it? They will receive it. Because God gives his truth to those who receive. Because he not only gives truth, but then he opens a heart and gives the faith and moves to motivate to receive. You see, he does the whole work. He does the whole work. Don't we believe that? Yes, right. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Mourning for what? Oh, by the way, then, verse 3 constitutes being born again. 
So the first thing that Jesus wants you to know about blessed is that you are a member of the kingdom of God. To be blessed means that you must be a member of the kingdom of God. You must have that face-to-face fellowship. You must have the presence of God in your heart by the Spirit on a regular basis, obviously. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Those who mourn, those who are grieving over the continuing presence and practice of sin as members of Christ. Those who mourn. Mourn about what? It's interesting, before we were saved, how many of us really mourned over our sin? I mean, we didn't like it if we got caught. We were upset about the consequences. Hey. Man, I hope he didn't see me do that. (gasps) But now, as a believer, as a believer, and in this morning, you see something of the character of Jesus himself, the grief of God that he experiences over the continuing sinning of his people. Now, what is our attitude about our sin? When we're in Christ, the power of sin's control over us is broken forever. But the practice of sin, or rather the presence of sin, is in us, in the flesh, until we put on a new body. Can we make sure we see that? The power of sin over us is broken forever in Christ. No longer do we have to practice purposeful sin. May I repeat that? No longer do we have to practice purposeful sin. I didn't say we would not sin inadvertently or whatever. We no longer have to practice purposeful sin. Every time I'm tempted to sin, I now, by the Spirit, have the ability in the power of God to say no to any and every temptation to sin right? That means that whenever I sin, I do it purposefully. Oh, that was a mistake. No, it wasn't a mistake. It was my decision to have an idol rather than to have God at that moment. But what grieves is that this sin is still in our bodies, and it will continue to be until we have a new body. And then the activity of sin should break our hearts before God. It should cause grief to us that we have continue to sin in the face of God having done the greatest work of all. Now, notice I did not say guilt because the guilt has been paid for at the cross. There is therefore no guilt, condemnation for those who are in Christ. But there should be deep grief. One of the things I would ask you to pray about and ask God continually is, Father, would you show me Would you give me what my sin does to you? How many of you, as parents and grandparents, grieve when your children or grandchildren do something wrong? Does that bother you at all, or does it hit you in the heart? Where does it hit us when our grandchild or child does something wrong? When one picks on another, or one is hurt by another and comes home and says, Daddy or Grandpa, whatever, Jane did this to me. We feel it where? In our hearts, do you get it? We grieve over that. It's just a little bit of what God feels when we, his children. And so to the extent that we can get an understanding and even an experience of how God feels about our sin, we'll begin to 
Give us the motivation and the empowerment to say no to sin. Because if I do this, what will my heavenly Father feel? What will my sin not do to me primarily? What it does to me primarily is not the issue. What it does to God and then to me. Because you see, as parents, what we feel, we're hurt. Why? And we're deeply hurt, more deeply hurt than the child who does wrong. And God is always more deeply hurt than we are. Second Corinthians, I don't know if that's in your notes. Second Corinthians chapter 7, Paul is saying, For what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you about sinning, what also, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation and indignation against the idea and the activity of sinning, what fear, fear of what? Fear of not losing your salvation, but fear and trembling. I don't want to be this way. I fear that I will continue. I, let's do something about this. Let's rise up and call upon the Holy Spirit and ask for his greater self-control and discernment. And you know what, church? Practice of sinning can be reduced in the church drastically, drastically. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Who are the meek? Those who neither are proud nor arrogant, but humble themselves under the hand of God and who are dependently obedient in everything. And actually, obedient should be dependent, but I put that in there in case we didn't catch it. Remember in, in, in Matthew eleven twenty nine, Jesus says, well, first of all, in 28, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And what does 29 say? I am what? Gentle and humble in heart. Well, what does the humility of Jesus look like? What does being humble look like? Blessed are the meek. What does it look like to be a meek person? Listen to this. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Have this attitude, this mind, this way of life among yourselves. Allow this person of Christ's attitude and the way he is to be manifested among you, which is yours in Christ who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He didn't try to outdo the one another, and he didn't try to grasp at, a, at attention or, or position, but made himself of nothing, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. How? By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. People ask me, how long should I obey? How far should I go? In this relationship, you may think that. How much should I put up with? Well, you put up with it even unto death as the Holy Spirit leads you. How much did Jesus put up with our sinning? How much did Jesus put up with our rebellion? How much? How much? To death. Suppose he had gotten tired of it. I've had enough. I can't do this anymore. It's too difficult. You just don't know what I've been through. You don't know how this has hurt me and disappointed me. Do you begin to hear ourselves in this? Well, well, suppose Jesus had said this. Henry, suppose Jesus had said that the moment before he went to the cross. We wouldn't be saved. In fact, we wouldn't even be here. There would be no redemption. There would be no creation at all. Because, you see, God's plan cannot fail. And so the next time... Your challenge, how much and how long and, and what, and you know, it is. 
relationships are always damaged through sin, only sin. Only sin damages relationships. So if you have a relational difficulty anywhere in your life, there's sin involved. How long can I be misunderstood? How long will they continue to attack me? How long will this happen? What am I doing? Go to the word. Obedient, how far? Even unto death. Unto death. Even the death on the cross. So, Sharice, how long? How long? How long should you endure? All the way, like Jesus did. Why? Because you're the image of the Son of God. And to not endure and not be willing to go all the way to death for whatever it is that's going on <clears throat> is not to image the one who died for us. See, Christianity is amazing, isn't it? And we have people in the office all the time. And I understand this. I really do. I have my struggles. I have my struggles. And the greatest struggle I have in issues is against me. The greatest struggle I have in my issues is with myself. You see, other struggles are external to me, but then they impact me at a place where now this thing has become very deep. Can you relate to that? And now my, the, the, the question is, how far do I go? How much do I put up with? When does this stop? Are you hearing me? Are you hearing something about yourself? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Those who have a continual and passionate longing for the growth of God's righteousness in their lives. I didn't put this in the notes, but I think it's Philippians 3.10. Paul is in prison. He's been ministering 25, 30 years by now in Philippians. He writes a Philippian letter. Four of them together, but Philippians we're talking about. He's in prison. He's in under house guard. Here's Paul the Apostle. Now, how many of us would say, if anybody knew Jesus, what? Paul did. Would we all agree with that? If anybody, he had made it. And what is his plea? Is it 310? What does he pray, Phil? Oh, that I may know him. What do you mean, knowing? Paul, have you read Romans? Did you, read, did you read Ephesians and Corinthians and Galatians? You're going to write the letters of Timothy. I mean, come on, Paul. Paul's passion that drove him is this ever-increasing wanting to know God because here's how you know you're growing in Christ. Here's at least one of the major ways you know you're growing in Christ. Every time God reveals something about himself or you to you and gives you something of an experience of himself, it creates in you a satisfaction to know it, but then it blossoms into a huge, i got to know more. I've got to have more. You see, don't give me just one little bite of a piece of chocolate. You make wonderful fudge. Don't give me just a little piece of your fudge. I'd rather have nothing because once I get that little piece in my mouth, what, Carol? I have to have the whole tray. 
You see, I want the whole tray. Hunger and thirst after righteousness. After Christ himself who is our righteous. And who is the righteous one? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God is the righteous one. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Those who show God's mercy to others, why? Because they have received mercy from God. I struggle with this. Why do I keep telling you that? Because there are a few people occasionally who think that the pastors have moved past struggles. That's just how people think. Now, why? I don't know, but let me give you a revelation about the pastoral staff and the elders of this church. And Phil Widener's here. I'm going to give you a revelation. Phil, I'm going to have to do this. You're going to forgive me later. But I'm going to give you a revelation. Here's the revelation that all of you need to know about Phil, Bill, Steve, Peter, and Keith, and the pastoral staff. We are human beings. I'm sorry, Phil. You see, I thought, yeah, you're right. And I know Liz was the only one who knew this. And she really knows how, and she really knows how human you are. See, Gene knows how human I am. Gene, yes. <laughs> We've been in some human meetings, haven't we? <laughs> Look, what is the beatitude I'm talking about? I forgot which one we're talking about. Which one? Mercy. Mercy. Oh, mercy. I forgot. Who is the merciful one? You remember what Ephesians 2 says, 1 through 3? You were dead. You walked according to the course of this world. We were by nature, what, children of wrath. Remember those verses? But what does he say in verse 4? But now, what? God. What? Because of being rich in mercy. Why were we saved? You see, we who deserved, not only didn't deserve mercy, but who deserve absolutely the opposite of it, we deserve judgment. God placed the judgment on his son to give us the mercy of his forgiveness. Blessed, verse 8, are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Those who are singly-minded devotion to God as Jesus was, whose desire is to please and, and honor God in all ways. Pure in heart. Those who are singularly-minded and are pursuing a greater flushing and filling, cleansing and cleaning by the Holy Spirit to regularly be allowing the Holy Spirit to search our hearts to see if there be any what? Evil or wicked way in me. Remember what David prays. Pure in heart. Not allowing the defilement of sin to enter the heart. And if it does, and it will, because we will sin. I like to say we won't, but we will. But when it does, we confess and repent quickly, and then we ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, please cleanse my heart of the impurities and the stains of this sin. You know how things stain? You drop food on something, and even though you clean the food away, what remains? A stain. A stain. And we have stains in our spirits. 
And God, the Holy Spirit, must wash that so we're continually being purified. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. The peacemakers are those who are of the person, the prince of peace. Remember in Isaiah chapter 9, he's the prince of peace. These are the ones who are not just looking to make, two, make it sure that two people get along, but these are the ones who first have peace with God as they pursue the peace of God in their lives. Peace with God. 5.1 of Romans, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. The warfare, the enmity, uh, the opposition between God and us is over at the cross since Jesus has endured the total opposition and wrath and warfare of God against our sin. He has endured it. And so we have peace with God. There is therefore a peace treaty in Christ, in the blood of Christ, having been signed at the cross. And now that we have peace with God, now we can pursue the peace of God so that the peace that Jesus gives to us, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, I give this peace to you that your, you know, your joy of joy and peace. What is this peace? This is the peace that God experiences within himself among the three persons of the Trinity. There is an absolute peace among the three persons, this fellowship of this community, peace, no strife, no contention, no disagreement, no dissatisfaction, absolute eternal peace. That's the peace that God puts in our hearts and is being developed in us because we are in him who is God's peace to us. I'll give you just some scriptures in here. Number 10, verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. He could have left this out. As members of the kingdom of God, we will experience persecution. Now, my problem half the time is I create the venue for persecution by deeds that I shouldn't or words that I shouldn't or whatever, attitudes. But if we are living and to the extent that we are fulfilling Christ in us, he is imaging himself in us. His own righteousness clashes with the unrighteousness of the world. And we do not have to get in the face of sinners God may call you to do that, but it's not absolutely obligatory. Simply by walking, thinking, acting, whatever, in righteousness is a great affront and a signal for warfare from the enemy of our souls, from the world, and from our own flesh. We're going to be persecuted, but the persecution, again, is going to come either internally or externally, and the worst persecution and the most devastatingly difficult and potentially disastrous persecution is that which comes from within me, not from without, from within. The struggle of the Holy Spirit in me to overcome the issues of me, if you understand what I mean. To bring me to a place of greater submission, greater sinlessness, 
controlling my thoughts, my words, my attitudes. That's where the greatest persecution is. When the Holy Spirit fights against me as sinning. Now, there will be other persecutions. But typically, when you say to the church persecution, we think typically of outside. Certainly, Jesus does mean that. And there will come those days, and there are those days among us. But what we don't want to do is give the world a reason to persecute us because of unrighteousness. The Apostle Peter talked about that. And remember, he says, don't be, you know, because of your unrighteousness. Suffer because of righteousness' sake, and that's good. If you suffer because you were just mean as a snake, that's on you. That's just your problem. So these are qualities and characteristics, and when you look at them, Go back through them and just sit and ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, reveal Jesus in these. And then allow yourself, as you walk through life, to regularly go back and look at these to see and ask the Holy Spirit, grade me, show me what's happening, show me the extent to which I am or am not imaging this, so that as we move forward in life, we can really be, to the greatest extent God will allow those who image the Son of God. Amen. So next week we'll continue with verses 11, and I don't know where we'll wind up finishing it next week. Thank you.